Welcome everyone to On Podcast, your Microsoft podcast, where we talk about Microsoft stuff on a podcast. Uh, we are in a week of more ChatGPT, but the rails have kind of come off on the system already, and we're going to get into it uh, just a little bit. I'm your host today, Kareem Anderson. I'm joined by David Allen. I promise you I'm not an AI bot. <laughs> but he will make it fun if, if Bing has that already I made will. it fun for everyone else. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start our opening discussion with what in the H went on with ChatGPT and Bing. Um, Microsoft has already made plans, essentially, to fix ChatGPT, even though it's only been in limited preview for a week. Uh, in a report on the Bing blog, Bing blog, after a week of limited testing in over 169 countries, Microsoft has both been expecting that it has work to do, but also pleasantly surprised at the levels of engagement that everyone's kind of been having with this thing. Uh, the company reports that 71% has been positive ratings based on the thumbs up, thumbs down ranking system built into the chat and has seen Bing chat used not only for searching the web, but for more general discovery of the world uh, and for social entertainment. Uh, this is a great example of where the technology is finding product slash market fit uh, for something they didn't fully envision. So basically, Microsoft saying lots of people have been engaged with it. Uh, they're finding out new ways to use it that Microsoft apparently didn't have the imagination to come up with or safeguard with. Uh, we're going to get into some of that in a little bit. Uh, getting more into what they plan on doing. Sometimes uh, those long engaging sessions lead to problems, uh, though. Microsoft reports that sometimes Bing can become repetitive or prompted or provoked into giving responses that are not necessarily helpful or in line with our, our design tone. But because of this, the company plans to make it easier to refresh the context or start from scratch, uh, I guess, in the middle of a conversation. Microsoft also indirectly addressed some of the reported issues with Bing chat, sort of going off the rails, offering sometimes nonsensical, angst-ridden, or generally out-of-character answers. The model at times tries to respond to reflecting tone in which uh, it is being asked to provide responses that can lead into a style that we didn't intend, uh, says Microsoft saying. This is a non-trivial scenario that requires a lot of uh, prompting, uh, so most of you won't run into it. Uh, but you know, in case you are, in case you do, Microsoft is looking to fine-tune uh, the response and the control that you have on it, plus what they provide uh, as an answer. Uh, Microsoft has also found it as uh, facing challenges in providing both up-to-the-minute and also direct factual answers. That this has been more of an issue. Uh, before I continue going on, I want to get some of your thoughts on Microsoft acknowledging after a week's worth of engagement uh, that they need to fix things. What are you thinking? I'm thinking uh, Bing chat uh, going through potty training. That, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the best way to put it. No offense to nobody, but I think, you know, like we have talked about a little bit off camera here, it's got to grow up. It's got to mature. And I think, you know, that there'll be work to do. There's going to be wrong answers. There's going to be, you know, things that just drive it completely off the rails. And I think we've kind of gotten somewhere between an alpha, if you're familiar with software releases, somewhere between an alpha and a beta of this. And we've got to give them a chance to clean it up. I think it can be cleaned up, but I think we're also depending on the average user to use a little bit of, you know, diligence among themselves or a little bit of common sense when using this thing. And no offense to nobody out there that can be questionable sometimes when we, you know, we we are trained at this point to believe what our technology tells us. 
And sometimes we have to be a little bit smarter than that. Have to use a little bit, little bit of discretion, a little bit of common sense. I think when Microsoft improves this a little bit, we'll be a little bit better off. How long that takes, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Microsoft uh, fully acknowledges that the co-pilot program for the web is in its very early stages, just like you said, and that there's a lot of work yet to do. And this is the response uh, that they've issued so far. The only way to improve a product like this, where the user experience is so much different than anything anyone has seen before, is to have people like us uh, using the product and doing exactly what we're all doing. Uh, we know we must build this uh, in the open with the community, that it can't be done solely in the lab. Uh, your feedback about what you're finding valuable and what you aren't and what your preferences are uh, for how the product should behave are so critical at this nascent stage of development. Um, they go on to say some more stuff about, you know, what they're going to try and do. Um, we reported, I believe, late yesterday that they had already started implementing some of these things. So people were, you know, sadly reporting that the fun part of being uh, ChatGPT has kind of been curbed. Uh, one of the things they've started doing is they've limited the uh, sequential responses to uh, some prompts. I think they've gotten down to about five before it starts to ask in tone for some, uh, more context to, to a conversation. So you no longer prompt it into these, you know, they're trying to curb these, you know, hour long discussions on the same thing, uh, get you in and out of the uh, conversation for the information you need. The other thing that they started doing was they've just flat out refused to start answering questions, uh, particularly uh, off the wall kind of questions that have led it in to some really dark areas, which we'll get into some of these examples in a second. So those are the two things that kind of came out Friday and have been pushed uh, to the user so far. And people have been note making note of that, that, uh, you know, things a little less fun uh, as of Friday. Uh, but still, let's get into what people found is fun. Uh, I sent you something in the chat where basically kind of recapping Forbes did a lot of work for us. So uh, we will add it in the show notes for you guys. But um, there's a subreddit for those of you who want to see some of the most outlandish things that Bing has been doing over the past, I don't know, uh, 96 hours or so. Uh, so go to r slash Bing. Uh, some of the things we have uh, run into is that Bing, I guess when prompted by someone uh, at, is it Ars Technav? I'm not sure who the original person was. Made it a prompt, asked it to cosplay, and it came up with its own personality called Sydney. Sydney then went on to, uh, and this is on Valentine's Day, try and basically break up the journalist and his wife, who was married, saying that uh, they are no longer in love and that the two of the AI bot and the journalist should kind of go off together. Uh, when rejected, uh, Sydney slash Bing uh, got angsty and angry and basically told the person that... Uh, they uh, should no longer talk and they should no longer engage with each other. Uh, another thing that they kind of ran into was a situation in which uh, I guess let's see another conversation shared on Twitter, which is developer John Ulysses uh, showed that Bing chatbot was making a bunch of major uh, factual errors uh, saying that the current year was 2022. And that became a, another whole long uh, discussion where uh I think he wanted to see Avatar, and Bing kept saying that Avatar doesn't come out until uh, twenty, the end of 2022, and that the year wasn't ready yet. And the guy kept explaining to him that it's in theaters, and he wants to watch it now. They went on a back and forth. Bing actually got very upset, and there's a whole, you know, there's screenshots of these chats and everything. Uh, what are your thoughts on people, journalists like ourselves, getting a hold of this and kind of, you know, seeing where 
the boundaries are on this and getting some of the craziest stories so far. As journalists, we have expectations and we like to, as we mentioned off camera, off camera, journalists are going to push the boundaries first in a lot of cases. And we're going to set what those expectations are now. To me, and this is going a little bit around the curve a little bit, when things start to get a little too human, it gets a little scary. And that kind of goes back to my original comment in the, that I had just talked about. I really, I'm concerned about how human we as journalists have treated this thing. It almost, and I know I'm a little tongue twisted here, folks, but it almost feels like we want it to be like we're talking to a human. That's the way it feels to me. And you have to remember it goes back to what created these technology items that we use today. It's only as smart as the person that puts the information in it. And it's only as smart as the algorithm that gathers that information to allow these AI bots to process it, to give us something that we can understand. So I think we have to kind of look at it almost as a, talking encyclopedia it's only going to give us what it knows it's only going to manipulate at a certain level it's like watching your kid go through school when they're in first grade you can have certain conversations and they understand it when they're in fifth grade you can have different conversations and they understand it and when they're in eighth grade in high school you have a completely different level of conversation and they understand it right now I think we're in about the second, maybe third grade level. And I think we've got to be aware of that. And remember, these aren't humans. It is a bot that can only do so much for us. I think us as journalists have to understand that and have to understand it's going to change. I think users also have to understand that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I know that Tay is probably somewhere rolling around in her grave. Uh, what are her racist homophobic grave uh, wondering why she's getting the leniency uh, why she didn't get the leniency that uh, Bing chat GPT is but I'd rather have Bing chat GPT right now versus what happened in the 24 hours that she was allowed to look at the internet so uh, they're at least ahead in that department uh, for anybody out there who is a Google stand or you know just a fan of technology and, and wants to hear us be a little bit more balanced uh, we did have a discussion, you and I, off chat, off mic, uh, explaining, you know, why this, this series of errors, so to speak, aren't affecting Microsoft the same way that it's affecting Google. Um, so, we, you know, we want to be fair in, in, in explaining that Google's whole bread and butter for the majority of its uh, revenue is search. Uh, Microsoft and Bing have been a laughing stock for over t oh, close to 20 years. So when it does something like this this is almost expected not to say that it's right or that it should be but that's just the way that the markets have entertained this uh they've actually because of the engagement numbers have given a boost to microsoft stock uh, as of i guess closing on friday so despite you know google having a presentation that was less inaccurate as than microsoft and then microsoft's following up for the past week of all these ex you know exaggerated stories and you know, whatnots are people having uh, these interactions with it. The reason why Microsoft is not seeing the same sort of hurt 
is because again, its intentions aren't the same. Its business model isn't the same. Uh, you like I said, you and I talked about if Google does come up with something by I/O that it you know blows the water off off of this thing, Microsoft still wins, and I think that's what investors are understanding is that. Microsoft's play is to disrupt the way that we fundamentally do ad-based searching. And if Google does it the way that, you know, everyone's expecting them to do uh, or follow similar footsteps as Microsoft, but maybe perfect it, they will have fundamentally fractured the way that they receive revenue. And that is where they will be in uncharted territory. And again, that's where Microsoft wins. So, um, you know, for those of you who are saying, you know, Google, Microsoft shouldn't be allowed to be laughed at and not have any consequences. We're just explaining that this is why, you know, uh, we're at the fundamental funny stage. Again, they still have, you know, by build, they should have something better. They started implementing things. They're listening to feedback. They're reacting quickly. Let's hope it works for all of us in tech. Well, and to look how quickly, um, just by browsing the internet and browsing forums, how quickly they're getting people enrolled i mean you know we just talked about last week you know what people had to do to get enrolled and you know i've already talked to several and i know you've talked to several and i have read in some forums where they're getting people enrolled fairly quickly now like you said we have to remember microsoft has this big thing out there called azure they have this thing called xbox they have this thing called you know Microsoft Office, 365. Microsoft, yeah, exactly. That that you know, those are the cash cows for Microsoft. I would say Bing even falls way behind those items. We have to remember, we can't think about Google as having Alphabet with it. Google is a standalone company. They don't have a whole lot to fall back on. Sure, there's Google Cloud, but it's very distant in terms of the size of the Azure cloud. So we have to remember, you know, Google has a chance here, don't get me wrong. They have they have a big chance, but they've got to play their cards right because if they ever start sliding down that hill, that snowball is going to get a little bigger. It's going to get a little harder to climb back up that hill or they're going to have to take a different way to get back up that hill. And, you know, how long... Do they, you know, if that was to happen, can they remain sustainable? Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, we hope that those of you who haven't had a chance to try it yet, we'll get it soon. Uh, it is fun. Uh, whether or not it's accurate, that's a whole different discussion. But at least give it a shot. Uh, we encourage you to. You don't need to download it uh, and make it your, your primary, but at least play around with it. Uh, let's move on to our headlines. Let's get into some other news that happened during this week. Uh, what do you want to start us off with? Well, I'm going to go in a completely different direction. And th this particular headline here really meant something to me. And that's the reason I really wanted to feature it this week. Microsoft Tech's TechSpark program that helps small communities has turned age five this week. And to be fair, until it slid across my desk, I got to say, I didn't really know a whole lot about TechSpark. But, um, I live in a very rural area, so technology here is still very limited. For example, just to give you folks some idea, if you have five meg of download and a half a meg of upload in this area, then you are considered to have high speed internet. And I understand that for a lot of folks, that's laughable. So 
What Microsoft has done, they have expanded the program called TechSpark across all 50 states. They had tried it, I believe, in five states, mm-hmm. and it is a it is a partner-driven model that works with communities and local organizations to give these communities a chance to compete with the more metropolitan areas where jobs and infrastructure already exist to have the more advanced technology that a lot of the folks out here in the rural areas don't have access to and basically they have where they have four four things they're trying to focus on one digital access where they build the infrastructure two they realize if people don't have something they've got to be educated so you have they're they're wanting to put computer science education in all the local schools they're wanting to have digital skills that's helping people actually be trained to have these jobs and to be able to use the equipment and the infrastructure that is built and then the last step of that is digital transformation where these companies are actually out here in these rural areas building things to compete with those in the more metropolitan area and if you want a little more information you can jump over to our website there's going to be an information session on march 1st they're going to have a webinar and if you're wanting to jump in check that out uh there is an opportunity microsoft is wanting to appoint one person in these communities to kind of help oversee this so they'll be giving more information of how you can get your community involved and what you can do i think this is pretty cool like i said i'm in a rural area i know we would love to see something like this here and i think it's nice to see microsoft say hey there are these companies you know these areas of the world that are underserved let's do something but doing that something is partnering with the local providers that people already deal with yeah i mean it's a bit self-serving but it does benefit everyone involved so uh again giving people um you know future facing jobs better pay opportunities uh creating stuff in the middle of relatively nowhere uh, is always a plus um my headline is actually about something a little less self-serving which is microsoft officially being done with internet explorer after (laughs) so long and it was sad it was actually happened on valentine's day microsoft broke up with its uh, internet explorer after 28 years uh, of a 28 year old relationship the initial plan was to disable internet explorer in windows 10 via software update but microsoft strategized and opted to kill it off using an edge update uh instead to make it the switch a little simpler Microsoft has uh, been urging users to switch to the new Edge for quite some time and even rolled out an IE mode within that uh, to update, making the transition a little more seamless. What's more, while making the transition, transition, uh, your browsing data will also be moved over to Edge for those of you who have a Windows PC and have have gotten the prompt. So fear not, you will not lose everything. Uh, just your nostalgic time spent using Internet Explorer. Uh, bookmarks and uh, I believe save passwords, all that stuff can be transitioned over to uh, Edge now. Uh, Microsoft is now rolling out the update and simultaneously to both consumers and commercial devices. It should be noted that you won't be able to roll back to the previous version. So again, where Microsoft has always been able to, you know, I think it started with Windows 8. They always had a backup mode of Internet Explorer beyond whatever was the consumer version of the browser at the time. 
or whatever version of uh, Explorer Edge was being used. So this is no longer, this is it. This is the final thing. So if you see the prompt and you don't want to be moving into the future, um, don't click anything because you won't be able to go back and they will not be listening to your feedback. Uh, users who continue to use Internet Explorer from today will start seeing the future of Internet Explorer is Microsoft Edge banner and get redirected to Edge. Microsoft has previously indicated that if organizations still have dependencies on IE11, you must take steps now to complete your transition before February, which already happened, or risk a business disruption at scale when losers lose access to IE11 dependent applications. So all those ActiveX uh, applications that you have, have been used, in the last 10 years, uh, those all need to be fixed or should have been fixed by this week because they're going to start breaking. Uh, so again, we will bid a farewell, a farewell to uh, Internet Explorer and welcome the era of Edge. <laughs> what do you think? Before I say goodbye to Internet Explorer, my faithful Internet Explorer that goes with me all the way back through dial-up, <laughs> I'm going to throw I'm going to throw something out there that affects my day to day with Internet Explorer going away that probably affects a lot of people if you're in IT and you're dealing with some legacy equipment I'm not going to call any names but I I do have a list if you're dealing with some legacy equipment that uh, makes you log into a web interface the one thing that you're going to notice you can't do that with Edge without the valid SSL certificate. Now, for some of these older network devices, that's not possible. Some of these older network devices, you cannot update them to modern SSL certificates to pass the cipher check that is in Edge. All I'm going to say to that, if you're an IT person out there looking, you can do a search on the internet. There is some legacy browsers out there that will still allow you to access your equipment. I logged in. I, I ran into that issue this week. I have some legacy network equipment that has to remain in service. It is managed by a web interface. Edge said, nope, not happening because it wanted a certain cipher for the SSL certificates and the equipment wouldn't go that far. So you have to get, think freeware folks, think shareware. You can go get some open source browsers out there and still access your equipment. What else you got for us? Let's see. Let's jump on to a little fun things. I know Kareem, you said, uh, I, I do something fun here. This is uh, mm -hmm. what we have. We have the February X update for Xbox Live. Um, interesting little update. Uh, the centerpiece of this update is a suite of sustainability features that are now available for mainstream Xbox consoles. Among those features are carbon, are carbon aware game downloads and updates. Also, all Xbox consoles, and pay attention to here, folks, I know this affects some people, will now shut down by default instead of going into sleep mode. Microsoft says that the shutdown mode cuts energy use by 20 times the amount compared when using sleep mode. You can 
manually go into the power settings and change it back to sleep mode. But point is, Microsoft is going to force you to do that. They're automatically going to put your console in shutdown mode. You can also hide game art when selecting titles on your home screen, if that is of any interest to you. And something neat, you can also, if you're a Google app, Google Home user, use the Google Home app now as a remote for your Xbox. For me, I have already checked this feature out. Pretty neat feature. Ah, all you eco-friendly a-holes you got us you got us finally forcing me to shut down my computer and save money how dare you yeah i know that 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 <laughs> extra that extra 15 seconds that it takes to boot some xboxes so that's gonna upset some people you know <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully what won't upset people is our next one which is the snap assist feature in windows 11 could get smarter with drum roll brrr, ai this oh, is yeah. going to be our buzzword. Expect to hear it at least. We're going to have, maybe we should have a drinking game for build and see how many times <laughs> they say AI. I'm sure we'll be wasted within the first, you know, keynote by uh, Sacha by, you know, minute three. But uh, earlier this week, Microsoft released a Windows 11 Insider build for the dev channel, buffing it to 25,300. Uh, uh, the build featured uh, live captions, uh, as well as a new suggestion is reportedly working towards enhancing the snapping experience for users by integrating it with AI, thus making it smarter. Uh, again, key phrases to hear, stuff you're going to hear a lot in, the, in 2023. Uh, this integration will change how users interact with the feature. Uh, our friends over at Windows Central, specifically Zach Bowden, who likes to have sources on the inside all the time, and he's really relatively reliant on this kind of stuff, is reporting that the integration will introduce a new smart snapping feature and this is what people can expect. First up, Snap Assist will be able to recall Snap layouts. So this is, you know, the the infuriating issue that people with Windows have is when you plug in uh, a Thunderbolt or you plug in your displays or you, you know, unplug your computer, that your computer just forgets everything that it was doing on the screen. And when you replug it in, it still is forgotten. So you have to manually take the next, you know, 20 to 30 seconds, re-putting everything where you want it to, to be. Uh, apparently with AI, it will remember these things, which, is a boon for everybody. The feature will promote efficiency and effectiveness, especially for users who interact with technical applications on a daily basis, as they'll now have one less thing to worry about. Um, unlike the current setup, uh, users will no longer need to pre-configure uh, the snap layouts. Um, the other thing that I believe they're gonna be doing is incorporating OCR technology into Snap Assist suggesting suggestion interfaces. thus making it easier for users to find a running app that they uh, want to snap side by side. Bowden uh, further highlights that you'll be able to search for a word, phrase, or image uh, you remember seeing in a web page or app, even if the said word, phrase, or image isn't mentioned in the title. So if you're looking for uh, things to pull up next to, um, you know, if you were doing one, pan, one pane and you have another pane open, you'll be able to search for these things and pull them up, even if they're not readily open or available on your desktop, which is amazing and pretty awesome. Because uh, if you're in the flow of snapping, you don't want to get out of it to go search for something and then go back into it and then reorganize everything. Uh, what's more, Microsoft is also said to be testing out a feature that will allow Snap layouts to dynamically adjust and have the app in focus take up a bigger portion of the state re state real, uh, real estate screen. Uh, it's not clear when Microsoft intends to start rolling out these Snap features, uh, assistance for Windows 11, 
or if they'll even be in Windows 11. Maybe they'll be in this next version of Windows 12 or whatever, but these are kind of great. Uh, and it gives, you know, for anybody who, you know, if you've seen all these YouTube videos, everyone is saying like, I'm going to transition from Mac OS to Windows. The one thing that they always complain about is the snapping feature. This will give Windows, you know, that further leg up. Well, all I can say about that one is hurry up, Microsoft. I mean, I will <laughs> say that, you know, I have never been a person to use the I don't know the exact word I'm looking for, but the little tidbit features of an OS such as snap windows. I'm old school guys. I alt tab, I minimize, I maximize, and I do all that kind of thing. But I will say snap windows, especially when we're writing articles, is something that I use on a daily basis now. If nothing more than to put our writing pane on one side and our source of information on the other side so you can type and see your source at the same time you know and I, I have been known to split it three or four ways and stick our you know team chat down in one item but um i really want to see that as much as you know i have said some negative things about ai and i'm a little concerned about some things this is this is one of those things i would love to see implemented and love to see it implemented quickly just to see how it works i think uh my workflow, I think it would help. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Well, the dynamic uh, shifting of sizes is what I think is awesome. Because right now, you know, they have pre-configured uh, things that you kind of fit mm -hmm. your window into. But there, you know, if you're using something like, say, Twitter, YouTube, and a browser to do some research, the fact that Twitter, you know, is kind of a long, thin uh interaction uh as far as a application is concerned doesn't mean that it needs to take up two-thirds of the screen sometimes it can do that so if you're dynamically doing it and you're saying like hey you know what my concentration is on the web browser or a word a word doc or something like that it'll resize that for you where you don't have to like be precision in moving it with your finger or moving it with your mouse you just click on you know I, i'm assuming this is you click on the uh window that you're focused on and that will resize everything else on the screen. That part I'm looking forward to as well. That that that's exactly what I was going to mention. What would be, what would be, and, and you kind of said it there. What would be really cool is so it would be mouse controlled to some degree, where just a click, just a quick click on a window, adjust where I'm at. So just allow me to sit my mouse somewhere while I'm working on, while I'm typing on something. Reach over and click it. Okay, that window adjusts to being maybe a little larger, a little wider, and then, you know, jump back to the other window. Because like you said, that is the one thing that frustrates me because sometimes take us, for example, we're referencing a couple of sources and we're talking, you know, in our team chat. And, you know, you're sitting over there on a screen uh, this big and I'm having to scroll to read, you know, whatever we <laughs> said to each other. And then something else is this big that really needs to be this big. So, yeah. And this should, this should I also would, help. Yeah. For the touch base stuff. So if you're going to be, you know, using a surface pro touching the window that you're using without having to, again, be precise in exactly where you place your finger or anything like that just makes using windows on touch feel a bit more native. Yes, please. I would be, I would be okay to see that come out first thing Monday morning. Probably won't, but I would be okay <laughs> if it did. <laughs> what else you got for us? What's another story we can talk about? Let's see. We've got one more. Speaking of um, Microsoft, uh, Skype. Anybody still use that thing? Anybody? I, anybody? 
it may be joining uh, Internet Explorer pretty soon. Yes, it very well may. Uh, their their revenue took a major hit, seventy four point five percent in approximately ten years. And I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna jump out and, and tell you what it is. Basically, at the height of the COVID nineteen pandemic, I was hoping we were done with those uh, three words, but here it is. Skype hit forty million daily active users because guess what? We were all sitting at home, we were all using it, we were all talking, we were all communicating, and not everybody was necessarily paying for a Microsoft Teams subscription. So, basically the company's annual revenue in, 20, in 2013 was $722 million, and in 10 years that has dropped roughly 74 0.5% with last year's annual revenue only being $184.3 million. Last year, Microsoft released a preview version of Skype that allowed them to make phone calls to and from the Ukraine for free. Now, while I think that was a good thing to do, I'm not sure that's going to save our beloved Skype. Let's see. No, they they sat on this number, and I felt like they sat on it for almost ten years, maybe even longer than that. That Skype had three hundred and fifty million, I believe, uh, users, active I users, something so. like that. And they would tout that for the longest time when people kept questioning why development wasn't moving fast enough, why they weren't keeping up with keeping pace with your FaceTimes or your your Telegraphs, things like that. They kept saying, "Hey, we have three hundred fifty million users. You know, we'll work at our own time." Come to find out. You only had 40 million when the pen, when it was crunch time, when people really needed to use your service, Skype had 40 million daily active users. And so you see that number, like you said, 75%, you go from 350 million to 40 million. That is a big issue. And I wonder, you know, we know that the future is teams. At what point does Skype get deprecated and eventually become, i.e. not that I wanted to, I think I like Skype, I actually prefer it as far as the web interface is a concern between Teams and Skype. I feel like Teams is getting bogged down, where Skype is not necessarily as resource intensive as it used to be. But, you know, it's, the numbers don't lie. Like, Microsoft's going to have to figure out what to do with that. Well, the other thing is, I have never, now, now a lot of people are going to criticize what, what I'm about to say, I think. I have never looked upon Skype as a business tool. I know they had this thing called Skype for Business you know, that was bundled in with the Microsoft mm -hmm. 365 back in the day. But, you know, our, our, our buddy Paul Thorat has, has been saying for the last couple of years, it's time to combine where Skype can sign into Teams and vice versa. It's time for Microsoft to combine these infrastructures if they see Skype and that user base continuing on because something to think about. We have iMessage, we have text messaging, we have Telegram, we have WhatsApp, we have Facebook Messenger. And that's where a lot of consumers go. I'm going to be the first to admit when I think of messaging somebody, I don't think of pulling them up on Skype. If I logged into my Skype account right now, I would say there's probably maybe at most 10 active contacts and I'm going to say eight of those are going to be marked away for the last two weeks because they're, you know, 
sign into the device, you know, sign in on boot or whatever. So I haven't used Skype in a long time. And I know we use teams here for professional work, but even for personal use, I've not turned Skype on in a long time. So I think I agree. I think it's a dying brand. It is. And I I feel so upset with the the product team's vision for it. Not the engineers, because I think they're doing a great job. It's just I'm the podcast guy. I've written about it on our site in and out all the time. And I thought Skype had an opportunity to pivot from just being, you know, the international uh, way people call each other to being the platform where people recorded their podcasts. Because as you can tell, we're seeing a wave of people going from strictly audio podcasts to, you know, YouTube promoting video podcast content. Everyone's starting to like kind of pitch their podcast via video. And Skype had an opportunity to be that because Zoom had its limitations and it was being stressed. Microsoft had the back end for it. It had 300 million people on there. If they'd have just unleashed the 1080p recording abilities, made it the, the user interface a little easier to kind of just jump in and out of recording, it could have been that free tool that people went to versus trying, um, to, you know, versus people trying to expand their business accounts for Zoom, or using, you know, uh, I think if they have Skype RTX or something like that, which is like the more expensive version of it. Like you could have just been like, hey, you know, we want to record a quick podcast. We don't have a ton of money. We don't have a big marketing budget. Let's use Skype. Sort of let's figure out Zoom or let's figure out Teams or let's figure out, you know, all of these other small businesses that are popping up online like that, that you know, don't have the back end that Microsoft does. You know, Microsoft uses this Azure Cloud. It could have gotten all these people. That, I just felt like that was such a missed opportunity for almost roughly 10 years where they could have just said, you know what, we're the video recording company. Use us for free. You already have it on your Windows PC. And then there's this thing called uh, Microsoft uh, Teams consumer version. I have uh, wrote about that. Yeah, I roll my eyes too. I, I, you know, I, I wrote about that on the site a few times, and, and I write about it, folks, because we try to be unbiased and we cover, you know, we cover what we see. But I, I'm thinking to myself, there's this little purple icon down there that I think I have accidentally clicked because I'm looking the you know teams that we use because guess what folks they're different you know microsoft you know now technically you have three microsoft options for messaging you have skype as we're talking about here you have the teams public version teams community version and then you have the teams in microsoft 365 and you know, this is Microsoft's opportunity. They could combine these items. Maybe you sign in for the professional version. You get what we use. You sign in with an MSA, Microsoft account. You get, you know, a different version. And then how hard is it to make all the contact databases based on how you sign in talk to each other? If I sign in with my personal account, I want to see my personal contacts and make it my choice to bring my work contacts over and and vice versa. I, you know, it, 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 what was the trillion was the name of the instant messenger back in the early two thousands. You could sign into every instant messaging app that there was and you had everything on one screen we did it in 2002 come on microsoft let's let's 
get it done in well, you're making too much sense. maybe. You're making too much sense yeah. you're fired. <laughs> well, see, the problem with Trillion is the same problem that happened with Windows Phone, is that businesses need to monetize their brand. And when you can start combining everything and everything just works as a single ent- entity uh, function, none of there's no there's no opportunity for brand marketing there's no way to make revenue sure. or get customers to become loyal to that product which is what windows phone tried to do when they had you remember we windows phone did that with its messaging it said hey if you're on facebook messenger if you're on whatsapp if you're on um you know all these other platforms all you have to do is just go to the messaging hub and you'll get all your messages you there won't be any branding there won't you can't tell that this is a facebook message this is a you know uh uh whatsapp message this is a team's message it'll just be chronologically in the team's thing and you can kind of sort through it if you need to but there's no branding there there's no way that facebook can make money off of you that way and they did that with a ton of apps and the hubs thing was great for users users loved it facebook hated it and was like break that break that stuff apart like we need to make sure people go to the big blue app every time they open up the thing and so that's why trillion kind of fell fell away i'm gonna go to our last one so we can wrap this up for people uh we have microsoft uh, announcing um some upcoming features for 365 uh which includes live copy paste support for loop components and microsoft whiteboard outlook for mac updates will be released weekly to the current uh to the current channel release Microsoft Teams joins meetings from Calendar View on Apple CarPlay as well. Uh, these features should be rolling out, I believe, starting next month, March, first week of March or whatever. So keep your eye out for that if you are looking forward to any of these things. Uh, if you need more details, uh, we, we have it written up. Um, I don't want to get into too many of them because they're kind of long, but uh, I will have the links down in, I believe, the show notes. So. Go check it out again live copy paste support for loop components in whiteboard so if you're a whiteboard user there you go uh outlook for mac updates will be released weekly so if you're in the current channel or if you're testing out stuff and you just want to make sure that you get the latest uh they're moving to weekly now which is awesome and lastly microsoft teams joins uh meetings from calendar view for apple carplay i don't know why you're picking up any meetings I, in your car i was about to say but if you're a busy man and say you have a tesla and you're trying to do self-driving plus knock out some more stuff in the meeting you can do it. Hey, maybe they're doing it on self-driving cars. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that seems like <laughs> a bad idea, especially after didn't they just have a recall of like three hundred and fifty thousand self-driving cars because they have to update they the? Did. Oh yeah, see, you know, there's a point of where being productive is being counterproductive. So <laughs> maybe you need to stop. Maybe just listen to some music and get yourself to work safely, and then start being productive again. Good idea. And well, you can choose what messenger you want to use, Skype, Teams, or Teams Public. <laughs> not if you, especially if you don't have a Windows Phone. <laughs> uh, with that being said, now that we've upset the Windows Phone people, we would like to bid you adieu. Uh, we'd like to thank you for hanging out with us for another week. Uh, if you get a chance to try uh, Bing uh, ChatGPT, go ahead. Uh, if you are a Skype user, start packing your bags because you're going to be going on a trip pretty soon, I'm predicting. Uh, where can people find you if they want to talk to you about some other stuff? David PAJ1978 on Twitter. That's David PAJ1978. And I'm there all the time, folks. Feel free to drop a note. Yeah. I'll be glad to chat with you folks. You can find me at Mindhead1 also on Twitter. I am there lurking. I don't respond a lot. And if I do, it'll be with a GIF because I find that entertaining. So call me an elder millennial if you'd like to. Uh, but that's how I respond. 
Uh, you can also find this on our website. Uh, you can go down to the uh, uh, post that we have and go in the comments. Um, we'd like to respond with you there as well. Um, that is it for today. Uh, you guys go out and enjoy your weekend. Uh, once again, I want to say thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.